Hello, I'm Orosia Nyawade. I'm the co-founder of VUCA, a digital storytelling company for African entrepreneurs, brands, and everyday leaders. This month's theme is titled WTF, Where is the Funding? The goal of this campaign is to highlight the true funding landscape in Africa for both funders and businesses. Our special guest today is Tatenda Burusa, the co-founder of Imali Pay. Tatenda, welcome. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, in about a minute or so, please take some time to just introduce yourself and the work that you do at Imali Pay. Thanks, Orishia. So, yes, um, my name is Tatenda Furusa. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Imalipay. Um, we were birthed possibly just over a year ago out of Nigeria and now Kenya, uh, with a view to also be in South Africa soon. We're a financial services platform that is catered for Africa's gig economy. Um, and myself and my co-founder, Sami, who is Nigerian and myself, Zimbabwean, uh, connected while working at a fintech company called Cellulent, which is based in 18 African markets. Um, known each other for about four or five years. Saw some problems in this gig space that is growing and burgeoning, which is basically anyone working on demand, task-based on a digital platform. So your Uber driver, boat driver, or white-collar freelancer doing web development, transcription. And we said, look, how can we provide them financial services where they've been neglected or underbanked? by existing institutions. So that is who Imali Pay is today. Um, and we are growing strong and enjoying the journey so far. Awesome. Thank you for that intro because it's just a, it's just a bit different to hear it from the people who founded it than just trying to read it online. It makes mm -hmm. a lot more sense that way. I didn't realize mm -hmm. you guys have only been around for a little bit over a year. So how long did it take for you guys to secure funding? Yeah, so we, you know, Sami and I in mid-2019 uh, said, let's do something together. He was living in Celluland, Nigeria. I was doing Celluland, Kenya. Had learned a lot on the job, made a lot of contacts, understood payments, financial services, how money moves, and how best to create solutions for, for last mile customers. Mm -hmm. But when we look at the journey of actually getting funding, it began January 2020, which is not too long ago. Um, where we actually started off with a $10,000 loan that yeah. came from family. And we're able to, that $10,000, um, you know, piece together what is the early foundation of the business, your pitch deck, your company registrations, your market research, you know, just to lay the foundations of what Imali Pay was going to do and what was going to fix for these underserved gig workers on the continent. Um, and we happened to then... Uh, coincide or meet Safe Border, which is a bike on demand platform in Ibada, Nigeria. We're launching there where my co founder lives. And we said, look, what if we gave financial services to your Okada riders or bike riders who do deliveries and transportation? And we said, look, we're not going to give them cash. Let's give them buy now, pay later for fuel, spare parts, smartphones, and a savings account and product, all powered via WhatsApp. And um, the country manager at that time, Baba Jida, was very excited. He said, yes, please, this will help us attract more Okada riders to the platform and retain them um, and keep them sticky. And of course, keeping them sticky means they're going to be employed and any more income over time. So when we won that partnership with Safe Border, we went back to family, also checked some of our savings and pulled together some savings that we had earned, of course, in our jobs, 
um, and then also was able to raise a bit from family as well. So we were able to put together about $55,000 US for a proof of concept uh, that took us from July last year till December um, when we started speaking to larger institutional investors and a few more super angels, as they called, uh, which then led to our pre-seed fundraise, which closed this year in February. Congratulations. Congratulations. That is such a quick journey in the startup world. And I like how you've just described the bootstrapping element of it, where, you know, this family, you know, coming in with their 10,000 and then all of you also picking up a little bit. And then the key partnership with Safe Boda to see if this is something that is needed in the market. Yes. So in that same energy is funding compulsory for each startup or is it industry specific what are your thoughts on this yeah it depends i mean i was reading this story uh this morning the story of mailchimp that we just got bought up by intuit for 12 billion us dollars in the us mailchimp has never raised any funding at all and have never diluted any of the equity um but they started quite some time ago so be interesting to see how mailchimp was able to bootstrap for so long and build a highly sustainable and EBITDA-positive business. That being said, it's easier said than done. I would possibly say that, depending on the sector you're in, mm-hmm. uh, in the financial technology space, um, typically you do need funding to get going. Do you need it immediately? Uh, maybe not. Do you need it eventually? Yes, you do, especially if you're looking at scaling uh, a consumer-led product. On the B2B side, even more so, you always need some sort of working capital finance. It could be equity that you're giving away or some sort of working capital finance from a bank to keep your business operational. But as far as I understand and what I've seen, it is very hard to shy away from raising funding in some shape or form, in particular in the fintech space. Um, And I'm sure even the e-commerce, health tech, and many other spaces as well, unless you're able to get a grant, uh, which is equity-free. Yeah, so sometimes I like how you've answered that very, 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 very realistically looking at it from, you know, B2B, is it consumer-based? And it's highly dependent also on your sector. Now, bringing it into fintech, which is, you know, what you've said in MaliPay is doing, I heard you say earlier, Okada drivers, I love that um, for Mm. the Kenyans and the other people, those are the Boda Boda drivers. Um, some say that fintech is a threat to the traditional banking sector. What are your thoughts on this? Is it true, false? Mm. <laughs> um, it it is in a sense, but it is not as well. And um, maybe I'll sit on the fence around it because we've seen uh, in the US. I can't remember the name of fintech that bought a bank okay. recently. It's the first fintech to ever buy a bank, and we've seen banks also acquire fintechs. Um, I think the banks that are integrating, acquiring and integrating fintechs into their business model and helping them grow sustainably will have a strategic advantage in the long term. So I possibly, I would say I beg to differ where banks have a bit more regulation and compliance and rigidity around their, their work and yeah. around how they operate. Fintechs can kind of take advantage of that by being able to register customers faster, be able to be more personalized and tailored and bespoke to segments of the population who are neglected or underserved. So I do not see a threat. Um, I see a unison around 
what can be done today, but in 10, 15, 20 years, could we see some fintechs acquire some banks? Yes, it could definitely happen. Um, if it's already happened in the US, I would not be surprised some of the big fintech giants across Nigeria, Kenya, will also start looking at the space as well in some shape or form to say, can we actually acquire a microfinance bank so we get licensing, for example, uh, so we can operate legally and you know professionally, which right. has been happening actually even in Kenya. So yes, I see a middle ground happening where fintechs will buy banks and then banks will buy fintechs. It could all then just merge into one um, unique bean that is a fintech meets bank type model. Okay. Yeah. So not yeah. necessarily a threat, but actually room for opportunity depending on how you look at it and how you collaborate and possibly who's going to acquire who at what point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, if you look at even during COVID, a lot of the banks had to shut down, you know, have limited working hours, you know, to spread, spread, uh, to prevent the spread of, of, of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of banks closed their branches and never going to reopen those branches. So how are those customers going to be served through digital channels? That is already a drive towards fintech. Fintech is all about digitization, branchless bank, banking, um, all these different things come into play there. So. Yeah, I, I see it actually headed in that direction in some shape or form. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the fintech space. And mm-hmm. I think it's a super convenient for the end user and just makes it mm-hmm. a lot easier and faster. So exactly. we are coming almost towards the end of our interview, but I just wanted you mm-hmm. to please maybe share three ways that Imali Pay is assisting mm-hmm. in solving the issue of financial inclusion within the continent. Thanks. So three ways. Um, if I was to summarize it, uh, <laughs> very good question. You know, financial inclusion for us and for everyone who understands the financial services space or wants to learn about it is about ease of use. Okay. It's about accessibility and it's about convenience and possibly fourth affordability, right? So when we look at what we are trying to achieve we would possibly say by ease of use, we are like an eight out of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, affordability, we're like an eight out of 10. Uh, for accessibility, nine to 10 out of 10, right? Um, and then accessibility, again, you know, uh, very easy to use and, you know, utilize for us. Sorry, convenience being the last factor, being very convenient, right? Our solution today is powered via WhatsApp. Um, and through saving a very simple number, uh, you register yourself, uh, which is a KYC process where we get to know you. We approve you in a matter of minutes. Um, and you can actually immediately start transacting if all the information is equal, that we know who you are and what you're doing in terms of your gig. Right. Um, and we're actually looking to layer this one into our mobile app, which launches next month. So what am I trying to say? For us, we, you know, we continue to score quite highly between eight to 10 or eight to nine, more realistically with our customers around our NPS score, um, 80 to 90 thereabouts in terms of customers saying, we love what you're doing, what you're offering, and that you're very simple to use. And that's what financial inclusion is about. The minute we make it much steeper or the barriers of entry harder to get a financial service, whether it's a loan, whether it's savings, whether it's insurance, whether it's a financial health tip, the less likely that person is going to travel along the financial inclusion journey 
So we are trying to lower those barriers of entry, make it easy, seamless, um, and of course, improve the well-being and financial health of gig economy workers in the continent. So we always keep close to the customer because that's how we win and that's how we become more personable um, and tailored to this audience. You know, just speaking to you and the fact that you're using WhatsApp as a platform, that's direct to this gig economy owner. Like the method of knowing the KYC, that is perfect, a perfect platform for the continent because at least you can say that if you are, um, you know, you have your border border on Uber or whatever, what you have is a smartphone. And at yes. least you can get the, the app of WhatsApp is on there. And in case they have any yes. questions, I think it's just, Perfect for our infrastructure. Exactly. Less less data costs using WhatsApp. No need to download a heavy app, ETC. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah. real quick, what's the biggest pain point in your business today? And what type of support would you need to solve it? Uh, biggest pain point, uh, I think not today, but something that we worry about, uh, Sami and I, in terms of is look, as we grow the business, it's just about finding talent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people, the talent that can take the level of responsibility required for this very huge mission that we have to provide financial services to over 15 million people in the next couple of years, um, to gig workers across the continent. So the biggest point, point, um, Possibly today, but maybe in future, more so is people and talent. Can we get the right people to join our ship uh, or our rocket, should we say, yeah. um, and incentivize them enough through you know good salary, equity or stake in the business, um, them believing and aligning to the vision and the mission of the business, and then them being fully on board as part owners of where we need to go. That is truly where I think where a lot of African startups, not just ours, um, are going to continue to have a challenge. Uh, find people who think out of the box, dynamic, open-minded, aggressive, self-starters. Um, is something that I think is is a challenge on the continent, perhaps largely due to our education systems or the way we're brought up. Yeah. Um, I think an important piece that we need to kind of retrain and relearn how we look at work and especially working in fast-growing startups. Yeah. Well, as a startup owner myself, I definitely agree with you and I can feel you, but I really like your last sentence and saying, how can we retrain? So yes, we recognize um, what the gap is in the continent. Yes, we recognize that maybe our culture has had um, an impact on how, you know, how we think outside the box, how we speak, how we feel that sense of ownership when we are working at an organization or a rocket ship, as you called it. But um, just the element of saying that, okay, this is a gap that needs training. Like let's, let's take it up to, to fill this skill and help people get to that type of mindset that is needed for this future, you know, especially Mm. tech and Africa. So this is your, okay, wait, any tips for uh, advice for a startup who's currently applying for funding? For funding, look, um, you've got to show skin in the game. How much have you put of your own money? How much has family entrusted you some money? Mm -hmm. Um, I think skin in the game. Yeah. And bootstrapping, putting something in the market, earning some revenue, getting some customers, whether B2B or B2C. Um, it's not like the European or US investment you know, landscape where you can raise money just with an idea on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. People want to see revenue and traction, possibly six months to a year before they actually throw a check. 
we were blessed and fortunate that it happened much faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's really that. Um, even if you've worked at a fintech for ten years, it does not matter. You got to show skin in the game. Yeah. Um, what have you injected? What has the business progressed with so far? Yeah. No, that's brilliant because I think it's, especially when you're getting into the startup space, you look at what's happening in the West and you start saying that, oh, I have this great idea, but it's always important to remember where you're from and what's available to you. And you need to really just show for the sake of this podcast and anybody listening, bootstrapping is where you are able to raise money from the three apps, friends, family, of fools. That is before you get into seed, angel, you know, venture capitalists. So that is what bootstrapping is just for the sake of this podcast. And that's what mm-hmm. um, Tatenda and his team were able to do for a bit before they recently secured funding. All right. As we end, is there something that you would like to give light to any initiative that you're currently running or a hobby, something? This is really yours as we close off the podcast interview for today. Um, yeah, not many hobbies, um, <laughs> you know, initiatives that I like to get into, maybe supporting more entrepreneurs like in a startup school or incubation schools just to share life lessons of other startups I've been involved in. It's not my first startup. It's my third startup mm-hmm. um, to in college a long time ago. I won't reveal my age. I'm in the U S where I did two startups and this is my third one, possibly fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've failed many times, picked myself up, uh, not easy, of course. And now trying to re- rectify what I learned in that startup or those startups, what I learned professionally in my career and bringing my A game towards this. Um, so I'll say, look, a lot of my time is spent on work, but looking to definitely give back to the community, to, to entrepreneurs who are in organized class or session or community where I can impact in, in any country virtually or if there's time permitting and, you know, other things permitting traveling to those locations, especially where I'm based in Kenya, uh, Nigeria, where we also operate in South Africa, where we shall be yeah. very happy to lend an ear to people who need help. Um, around their business and growing their business. Um, and then, of course, we actually will be fundraising again. So um, look out for us. We'll be going for uh, our seed round um, towards the end of the year. So rapid growth. Uh, and you've got to be very aggressive, be determined, be confident when you're doing these things. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I think this interview is definitely one of your ways of giving back because you have been so real and so authentic to just share your journey. And even saying that, hey, I've failed a number of times before. Like, this is not my first rodeo. And I'm using those lessons to see how I can better this new venture that you're on. So thank you so much, Asanti Sana. To the listeners, <laughs> that is Tatenda Furusa and the co-founder of Imali Pay. And thank you so much. And that's the end. Goodbye. Thank you.